I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind, and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know, the street nerd has got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest. You guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. We keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what I'm going to do. What kind of forever. Yeah. <laughs> On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Little disclaimer, Chris Derrick is out this day. He's in the damn writer's room like he got a job or something. He ain't doing nothing. <laughs> and Lisa Bow College is out. But uh, we're taping actually on a weekday. So my dude, I'm a dude, Diallo. Diallo? Diallo, right? you got it right. See? Brother if you want to go West African, it's Diallo. Damn. He trying to bring us all to the islands and stuff. <laughs> Once on this island and shit. T-Moon. That's a year. <laughs> he, he taking us all down there. Let there be no room. All right. Anyway. So, what's up, Amadou Diallo? Hey, man. I'm good, man. I'm yeah. good. Been out here for a couple of days now mm-hmm. on my little transcontinental visit so damn great to see here on santa claus net slaying shit (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious i like what y'all did with the heat for my visit very nice we turned it up a little bit for you it's like humid too yeah no this isn't humid new york city we know humid humid now now this is humid for us yeah yeah we get we get like 88 percent humidity but it's just dripping off of you (laughs) i don't do all that y'all also get the snow which I don't deal with either. I don't. Mm, the snow don't is fun. You can use it. What other weather can you use? You can make snowballs with it. You can make mm. angels lay down. Mm. I like it every year for like the last three years. We've been going to Flagstaff in Arizona. Okay. And you know we're in, we're in Phoenix all the time in Scottsdale because my husband's family's there. My family moved there too. Okay. So they're like an hour away, <clears throat> but we go up to Flagstaff and it's in the mountains, so it snows up there. Yeah. So we got this gorgeous cabin we go to every week book it like a year ahead okay and every year like fucking christmas eve all of a sudden we look up and it starts it's just perfect yeah i like to look and you see it on them you know on the roofs that's the postcard snow that's the way i like it yeah so you don't know about new york city snow i'm good i'm good two weeks (laughs) yeah we get the color fade it starts white then it gets a little gray and then rain a couple Mm. weeks it gets black Mm -mm. and sooty Mm -mm. yeah i don't do all that yeah then it's a camouflage (laughs) for the rats (laughs) <laughs> I go, do they slow down in the cold or they just like, oh, it's just snow? You know, I think it's like, I think they go like a like a, a paleo thing more when it gets cold down. Really? The metabolism, you know, <laughs> speeds up a little bit. It's still, it's still it, trash in the it's streets. Still, it's still trash. Yeah, that's, that's hilarious. That's what we do. <laughs> so welcome to the show. I'm going to do, we've had you on before. And our uh, emer- you were on the Emerging Writers episode. Right, you? exactly. Right, yeah. Exactly. One of our hot episodes that we had out there too. Um what you what you been up to lately since we talked to you? Um, yeah, since since last time I talked, man, a lot has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm happy to say um, I got into a fellowship. 
okay. this year, which is amazing. Can you say what it is? Yeah, it's uh, Mentorship Matters. It's oh, a yeah, brand yeah. new one mm-hmm. uh, started by showrunners. Right. Um, that's really dope. Um, you know, we can get into it later, but the, mm-hmm. the thing they've done is they've modeled it somewhat after the network fellowships. But for me, they've taken all the great things mm-hmm. about the network fellowships and left out some of the not so great things. So it's a really amazing experience um, where we get a year of working one-on-one with a showrunner. Is that the woman like Aaron Rashawn Thomas and all Aaron's in it. Uh, Rael Tucker is the one who started it. Uh, Melanie Marnich is Mm -hmm. who I'm working with. It's a lot of heavy hitters. And, you know, it was really born out of Rael and some of her colleagues sitting around during the pandemic with nothing to do, mm-hmm. taking the time back, taking a breath, looking mm-hmm. at the industry that they're in and right. asking, why does it have, why is it still like this? We've been mm-hmm. talking about diversity for, for years and years and years. And I, th- I think that what they're really pushing back against is when studio executives hear diversity, they think, I oh, will get a couple of staff writers exactly. and we'll do it. Yeah, two out of 10. That's exactly. like, you know, you're 13% of the population. You could be like, 20% of the room right. where the diversity that counts is when you have diversity in the decision-making position. So the goal of this mentorship, the short-term goal is for everybody to get staff. Mm-hmm. Long-term goal and the reason we're paired for a year with active showrunners is for us to be showrunners because that's the only way you change the industry is by giving people, um, people of color, women, LGBTQ, decision-making power. Because you can be in a room where bullshit is going on, mm-hmm. and if you can't say anything or your ideas aren't being listened to, that's that diversity doesn't show up on the screen. So I, I might have to talk to them because <clears throat> I don't know if you heard me say on the podcast. You know, um, I've had a couple like I, I like two months ago I was on Clubhouse and I was going in about these fellowships and shit that you know. Yeah. I mean? <laughs> I was going in and I got an email from a big executive at one of the studios going, hey, I heard you on Clubhouse. I was like, oh, these bitches are listening. You're right, right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And she's like, I want to talk to you about like more where you're going. And I said, for me, so I like where the, what you guys may be doing over there is kind of a version of what I'm looking for. Yeah. Is I said, you know, too many of these things are for the, you know, emerging writer who's never worked on a show before, or they might have done one, you know, episode of, you know, whatever. And so I was like, I want to talk to those guys and girls who are like the next Issa. Yeah. You know what I mean? Those of us who've already produced lots of stuff, you just don't know what we're doing. We're doing independent work or whatever, whatever. But we can handle production, (laughs) you know what I mean? You're not just a staff writer. You can do stuff. No, we're already past all of that. You can run shows. Exactly. Some of us have done features, you know, documentaries, whatever the thing is. It's like, let's find that group of people, you know, diverse group of people, and make make an area for them. But what I want to suggest is, I want this to come from a studio, each of us end up when we're done with like a not a development deal. That's yeah, bullshit. Yeah. I'm talking about like an overall deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's where I'm pushing. You know, and she's like, ooh, that's gonna be hard. And I was like, Well, I'm telling you what you asked me yeah, what I want. Yeah, exactly. That's what I want. You know, you know what, what else is hard is making the amount of product that they do with the budgets they have. They can exactly. do hard when they want to. Right. They can afford it. Yeah. Believe me. Yeah. They spend that on pilots that they shoot and don't even use it. So it's like, what's the difference? You know? Yeah. No, I think what you and I've heard you talk about this and I think it's so important because from my perspective as an outsider, yeah, I'm looking for that shot of somebody getting as a staff writer. But then, yeah, what if I had been here for 15 years and had done all this other stuff and made my short films and exactly. produced it and do bootstrap like how we always do because we have to and which makes you more valuable if you get the opportunity to right. show that. 
and I think one of the things with the mentorship matters is one way to approach it is what you're suggesting is mm -hmm. to have a program to do that. Another way is if all of us and they went diverse with the selection. There's 23 right. of us, and my boy when he saw the press release on Deadline, they had everybody's pictures. He's like, "Yo, when they said diverse, they went black. Like they, they went black, black. You well, know, like with the names Aaron's, of everything. If it's involved, not like, I knew it was gonna be. You know, <laughs> for sure. Um, and so one of the things is that if more people like us get into positions of power where we can hire people, where we can bring people on. Because as a person of color, you understand that somebody else as a person of color gets into step two of the rung of the ladder. Mm -hmm. We know what it took to get that step. We know yep. they had to go over more hurdles. Yep. They're going to be more qualified mm -hmm. than somebody who just got it because they grew up in Hollywood and their parents got them this or this and they don't have student loans to deal mm -hmm. with and they're not raising kids. So yeah, it's it's both. You you fight that from both sides. Well, but. we were we were talking. I don't know if you heard the episode we just did this week. Um, we did. We're doing a two parter with Charles Murray, and Charles. We were talking to Charles about this similar thing, and Chris was talking about how he had reached out to like some of the, some writers who were like you know a way upper level writers than he is on yeah. this show, and asked him like, "What did you do during this situation?" They're like, "Man, I don't even remember," right, and. And he and uh, Charles, who was sitting here, said one of the things that I appreciate and the type of EP you should be is the person who remembers what you did on your way up, yeah. right? Yeah. And so and so talking about that, what you're saying, I get that sometimes it's been a long time since you've been something, but I don't know how you forget the information that you took in. And to me, that's somebody who rode. Okay. Exactly what you're talking okay. about. Yeah. They were like, you know, my, my homeboy got me this job or whatever it is. And it, I mean, and it they was don't want to say it. Yeah. And Instead of somebody who got a job and fucking was there every day and the first one to leave, like they took it in differently. Because they'll tell you exactly what exactly. they did exactly. to get there. Because they're not scared of somebody else copying it. Because they're like, right. you want to copy my hard work, me busting my ass the whole time? Here's the blueprint. Right. Right here. Right. And, and that's the other thing we talked about a little bit was um, giving out information for free. Charles has a whole philosophy, and you got to listen to this episode. It's fucking dope. He has a whole philosophy that he takes something from you. So say, for instance, you came and was like, hey, let me get some advice and whatever. He'd be like, cool. Yeah. How much money you got in your pocket right now? Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. Or, you know, hey, I like that watch. How, yeah. how much is that? Yeah. And, like, yeah. and he's not playing. He's okay. trying to right. teach you, and he explains it a lot better than I'm going to fuck it all up. But he's trying to teach you that if you give something for the thing that you got, you will appreciate it so much more than me just giving you some game, you know, or sitting down with you and you just taking my knowledge and running with it, right? And then I got into this whole thing about how you ever give somebody some game and you know they're not ready not, for it? Yeah, yeah. My whole point is, <clears throat> and I'm trying to stop doing this as much, actually after that conversation okay. we had, to be 100% with you, is <clears throat> I might be wasting my time. Definitely. But, but I'm, just, I'm just that person, like, Every fucking week, I say, I'm not going to read nobody's script. Yeah. By the time the week's over, six of them I read. Yeah. And I spend detailed time with people. You can yep. ask anybody who's yep. got my notes. Hillary, you give me the best notes. Yeah. Right? And and it's because nine times out of ten, Hill, I got this agent who wants to read. I'm like, fuck, I can't half give it to him. I got to give him that, like as if I yeah. wrote it. Yeah, type yeah, of shit. yeah. You know what I mean? And so, I, and, I, and I know you're not going to take in everything that I get, but if you get some of those things that I told you, it'll make it that much better. So, so yeah. that's why I, I have the can't help us with it. Yeah. You know no, I, mean? I 
and I definitely appreciate you and people like you who do that. And and I see Charles's point. I think I have a little different take on it. Of I agree <laughs> that you have to pay for it, but in my experience, you pay for that. When if I approach you, somebody who's above me, who's doing what I want to do, me getting it for free is me coming to say, hey, Hillier, get me a manager. Hey, Hillier, get <laughs> right. me a gig. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's whatever you say to me. That's totally free. I haven't paid for that. If I come to you and say, Hillier, I've got a manager and his big forte is in TV. But what I'm trying to get uh, at the same time is get into some writing assignments. I have this feature. Now, how do I, what's the hustle for that? What can I do to that? If I come to you with something very specific that shows that I'm doing the work, then I'm paying for that. Cause I should, whatever I ask you for, mm-hmm. I gotta be given 90% towards that goal of whatever 10% I'm asking well, we you for. Well, we hope. Right, yeah. but so that's like, I'm not gonna give you my watch, but if I give you oh, that- give me the, I want the ring, <laughs> give me the, the ring. You get the ring, the glasses. <laughs> you can take the rental, you can take the rental car. Um, but that's how I, I, I look at it is, because then I find people are willing to help you. Like, my, my thing is like, from the beginning of this journey, what I was so surprised about is how willing people are to give you some time. I mean, anybody mm-hmm. will give you 15 minutes over coffee just because you never know who the next right. big person to blow up is, right? Yep. Okay. But after that 15 minutes, what am I going to do with that information that they have so that the next time I see them, they know that I've been proactive, I've acted on that, I've done, I've put in the work. Because again, like whatever, whatever you give me, I've got to put 10 times that for myself because it's Mm -hmm. my life, it's my career. And I feel like if you show people that, then they're really willing to help you because they know, like you said, it's Mm -hmm. not in vain. I didn't just waste two hours giving notes on this thing that this person is not going to do anything with or going to ignore. But see, I've learned, I I like how you said that, but I've learned not to even take it personally because I'll ask you, like, whatever happened. You know, sometimes you you do all that, you don't hear a fucking word. Sometimes you don't even get a thank you. You know, it's funny. Mm-hmm. Some people, but you have to you have to have your reasons why you're right. doing things. That's like, not dependent on me, their response. Yeah, it's if if I'm gonna claim to be the dude who helps people, I gotta just do that. Okay, and I gotta roll with it. Okay. you know what I mean. <clears throat> and sometimes, like my husband's always like, "Hell, you know, man, how much energy you spend there? If you use that over there, imagine, yeah, you know, yeah. your girl Lena. Look at all the shit she does. Yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah right? And I'm like. And I'm like, yeah, there's that. But Lena fucking, I know Lena too. She was helping everybody too. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. it was in a different way. She also, she was also very much um, on the let me get mine and then I'll help you type of thing. Okay. You know got what you, I mean? And that's you. what I'm yeah. working on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and one of the things, you know, just jumping on her right quick, that I appreciate about, about Lena and Issa and, you know, Ava and all the people that we know is, is all of them are doing exactly what they said they were planning to do, which is, A, I remember having conversations with Lena, she's my co-chair on the black committee, and she would say, my, what I plan to do when I get in, when I do this, I'm gonna bring up these people to do this and this. I'm gonna put my name on Bubba. Yep. Do you see it? Yep. Everywhere. Yep. <laughs> you know what I yep. mean? She is the perfect example. You know, I don't care if you don't like her work or not, I don't care, she did the thing. Yep. You know what I mean? And that's what we all should be aspiring to do. Is mean, man, my dude, I'm a, I'm a dude, got this badass script. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring him into HBO. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to be doing. It's mm-hmm. like, now I'm in a position where showrunners are going, Hill, I need a staff writer for this. I'm like, perfect. Let me call these people. Let me call it. And yeah. I've got at least six, seven people staffing the last two years. So I feel good about that. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Now my next step 
<laughs> you know, is. is to be the one who actually hires and to be the one, which I hire on smaller scales, yeah. but but I want to be the one who actually hires and I want to be the one who actually walks in the door with people in EPs, a project that I probably wasn't even working on that much, yeah. you know, because I loved it. Yeah. No, that's so important because, I mean, you have to be you, right? right? You have to, if you're giving out and reaching out and being helped, like that brings you satisfaction that's not tied to the outcome of that person's success. Right. Like that's just being, knowing yourself and being honest and but i i do think because looking at it from the outside everything is magic everything is a mystery you don't know how anything happens you don't know uh, why this person gets hired for this why that person is not so mm-hmm. from that perspective i think some people have that fairy dust <laughs> that's true yeah and that's always going to be like that it. right yeah. and that person's success doesn't mean that you can't have exactly. it either it's not a exactly. one, either or but i think from the perspective of somebody emerging is that what you do need to recognize because this gives you such a leg up is that you're being proactive, you're advocating for yourself, you're hustling for yourself with or without a manager, your hustle doesn't change. In fact, I'd say your hustle increases when you get a manager because now you have like some accelerant on it. So every move you make is going to be, is going to be amplified. And I think because that's something that, you know, I could talk to you, I could Mm -hmm. talk to, Showrunners, I could talk to people of everybody. The hustle has to stay the same. It's it, it's always the same. That's the only way anything happens. Mm-hmm. And that hard work, I think, is something. There's a myth out there that you do all this hard work to get in, mm-hmm. and then you're good. Yeah. And for white dudes, that might be the case. I can't speak to that. But there I may be there may be some truth to that. I'm I, not gonna. For hey. us, it's not. And I yeah. think this goes back to like what's so great about your podcast is like. You know, during the pandemic, it's like everybody's got a podcast, everybody's got webinars, giving mm-hmm. out all this information, right. which was great. And it gives you a good sense of like what the obstacles are you have to do to make it in the industry and all like that. And it's cool. You get that down and everybody's saying the same thing. And the first time I listened to your show, I came away like, oh, this is the extra shit that we have to do. Right. And nobody else was saying that. And that was so valuable, man. Like, I, because it's, it's it's honest and it's true. And some people that's going to discourage, but mm-hmm. other people that's going to say, "All right, just show me the blueprint." Now I know what I'm up against. I'm going to still do it. And but that's the key, though. I'm gonna do is that some people, you know, and and like, I mean, we're not script notes. You know, right. that's a completely different show. Yeah. And and until we are writers on that level where we are being looked at you know for oscars and fucking emmys and shit um it's you can't expect not to compete against somebody who gets 30 40,000 people and we might get two yeah <laughs> you yeah, know, a yeah, week. yeah yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and so and we also have also under have the understanding that as the uh diverse group of writers we're probably going to attract more diverse group of writers mm-hmm. and there's more of them yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The majority of their people are white people who listen to the show. There's yeah. more of them. You look at our Writers Guild and any other place, it's full of white folks. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm not, I, I used to, like, when I first started, I was like, ooh, I'm never going to compete. And then I was like, oh, my audience is who it is. And I'm cool with that. Yeah. You know? And your value is so much higher. Like, I never knew what a double bump was till I heard you guys talk about it on your show. And that's going to be even more important for a person of color to know right. this because we're the ones that are going to have to deal with you. hear the stories of like right. people being a staff writer for three and four, four years and then finally make it up. So, yeah, it's not, it's not about the numbers. It's about the specificity of the right. information you're given, 
which nobody else is given because again it just seems like this mystery like of how it happens and then is it just all luck is it just talent and you know and it's not the thing that i'm realizing is that it's not talent like you have to be at a certain level but when once you get to a certain level okay everybody can write everybody has life experiences they can talk about all right okay we say everybody with an asterisk i see your face like but there's still some people that love suspect yeah 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 no i'll give you that i'll give you that (laughs) <laughs> but then that alone isn't what's going to what's going to make it for you. You got I mean people give like the hustle a bad rap, right? Cuz they they look at it as like, you know, going back to my music days like the nobody wants to be the guy that on the rehearsal break is handing out his business card <laughs> right. to like the trumpet section, exactly, right? Yeah. Nobody wants to be him, but people think of the hustle is in place of hard work and in place of talent, but it's mm-hmm. not. It's in addition to. Yes. And if you can do and and to be honest, your hustle is easier to show people than your talent. Talent, they got to read your script. You could send it to them and maybe they have time to read it, maybe they don't. But if you send them a follow-up two months later, hey, I just got this fellowship or right. hey, I just won this contest or hey, I got a manager or something like that. And I'm going to tell you, as somebody who gets a lot of those emails, I actually appreciate it. You know, because when I was coming up, that's something I would do to uh, Charles, you know, and Malcolm, whatever. Let them know, hey man, I'm just letting you know I'm doing this thing. Yeah, I'm yeah. just letting you know. I'm not expecting them to come. Yeah, not expecting them to watch. Yeah, just letting them know, right? And so, you know, a lot of people are like, dude, you're kind of an influencer, and this and this. And I was like, I mean, I guess I could be if I really pushed that. But I just try to just do enough of whatever it is because I appreciate the fact that I'm giving some game. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just going back on what you were saying is, for me, um, the hustle is, a, a lot of people hate it because hustle usually comes from hustler. <laughs> right, know? right. So it means right. to take, right? Yeah. Or to, to, you know, to manipulate or whatever, yeah. right? And to me, and we, we've we taken it into a pot like the, the N-word, you know? Yeah, we say, yeah, nigga, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nigga, not nigga. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like how we see it in the positive. And so for me, my hustle is really strong you know, like like I said, during the Rona, I think there was, we were out of town for like two or three weeks during that. So that was the only time I wasn't here. The okay. entire time of the Rona, okay. over a year, yeah. seven days a week, I come in my office. Yeah. And 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 any of my neighbors can tell you, and they come in, like, I knew you'd be here. I was like, right. I got shit to do. You know what I mean? Yep. And so and so people, so, oh, this was the story I was going to tell. So years ago, like 2007, I was in the Cosby Fellowship. Right? Okay. And I remember I was writing... Um, a cl- uh, um, um, uh, entourage back, and um, I would I would go to the gym. And I'm the type of dude I'd go to the gym and I'd finish something. I'd have my script and I'd just be flipping through like writing, right. you know. I used to like to read it on paper. Yeah. And um, during the time I'd gotten to know Rob Weiss, who's the co EP on the show at the time, and um, he would be at the gym. We just wave and say hi, whatever. And one day I had it and it had flipped. I usually flip it over this way so people can't see, and it yeah. folded over. And you could see it. And he walked by and went, oh, you're riding a entourage. And I went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he said, um, I'm going to give you some game. I said, what? Okay. He says, um, "He says uh, everybody thinks it's, um, I'm forgetting all the characters' names. It's been so long. Um, the star. Everybody, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody thinks it's his show. He's like, it's E-show. Ah, and I went, oh. Okay. So, but it made me reshift from the point of view of who I was, Vince. Yeah, everybody yeah. thought it was Vince's show. And I went, oh, great, great. A few weeks later, I was in there, you know, making some changes again. And, and he walked by and he went, hey, can I tell you something? He said, what? He says, I'm watching you. Yeah. Right? See? The point I'm making yeah. is that 
who you you think you just in there doing shit. Yep. So I find myself doing that with other writers who are coming up now. You know, like you said earlier, um, if I came to you and I'm like, hey, I'm a, I got a manager already. We're doing TV, but I'm trying to do this film thing. I might respect you differently because I see you already have something. You're not coming to me about, you know, I don't know how to do this. How do I do it? Right. You're going. I've already been on Google. Exactly. I've already spent the time exactly. on that and not asking you. You've already like, done the How work. did you format a screenplay? Exactly. You're the guy I want to help. Yeah. You're not the guy, the girl, you know, in this time um, who is perfect example. I might have told this before on, on my show. I was just in the Bay Area um, for this big funeral and I was at my sister's house and mm-hmm. my, my niece was sitting there. And my niece is this drop-dead, naturally tall, volleyball-playing, you know, yeah. sister with good hair. Yeah, yeah. You know, and light skin, big lips. She could be a supermodel. Right. Right. And my sister was like, you know, your, your niece really want a model. And I was like, uh, she can call me. Right. Right. And right. she's like, well, what, you know, who can you hook her up with? And I was like, uh, she got to call me. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And the point I'm making is I'm not going to be the one who does it, even for my niece. Right. Who I think could be a supermodel. Yeah. Right. And I said this. I said, you know, every year uh, top model has open auditions. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And guess what? If she as if much she as she's on it, her phone, yeah. she could figure it out. Yeah. I said I said and I said this to my sister. I said I was 12 years old. If you remember, I would take the bus from East Palo Alto up to San Francisco you know, and audition, and I was doing all the theater, ACT and all that shit, and I was like 12 years old. There was no internet in 1982. I did that. So if I could do that then, I need to see that from the person that I'm helping. Yeah, because you need to see the hard work because it's hard. You're going to get a lot of rejection. You're going to get a lot of no's. She's not going to appreciate it if I just gave her, here's here's this agent I know in San Francisco. And she's not going to make it because you've got to show people that you're more interested in your career and your advancement than they are that part that's what like as musician i remember a long time ago somebody told me we were all like oh how do you get a manager how do you get agent because i want to get booked in these clubs and you know first they were like well when you're ready for a manager they're going to come to you so stop (laughs) sweating this stuff that you're not ready for but also like once you get it yeah exactly (laughs) no manager no agent is going to care about your career more More than than you. you And that's how, it, that's how it's supposed or, to be. And, and just then I say this to filmmakers. Nobody's going to care about your movie more than you. Yep. And that doesn't mean they, they don't do, care. If they do, something's wrong with you. That doesn't mean they don't care. I've had this argument with so many directors that I came in to produce. I'm like, dude. Because no, how come this person won't work for this amount of money? I said, because it's your movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not theirs. Yeah. Relax. You know, let, let's, let's find out where we could take from the budget to make that work. But this isn't about them. This is about you. If you want them, then they they'll come to play. But they come to play because you know it's, it's one. I'm jumping all over the place. This is why we call the rant room. But and you know this from doing music, you can't do a favor for somebody on one movie and expect them to do the same for, favor for you on the next. You can't just like in, you can't make an album and somebody played a guitar on it and they were badass and you guys sold a pretty good record. The next album you come back to him for the same amount of money. Yeah, he should yeah, be like, no. dude, y'all sold albums before. Yeah, yeah, you need to. He was like, that's why it was a favor. Exactly. So I'm gig. saying it's the same spirit to me. And it's also I think you have to understand and you ha- you have to accept that you never know when the seeds you're planting are going to come out. So Mm -hmm. you can ask somebody for something and you don't sit and wait for that thing to come through. 
because you never know. Like you're at the gym. Like you didn't know flipping through your script right. at the gym that that was going to lead to this guy being interested in mm-hmm. you. And so you you always have to be working right. because you don't know when it's going to be. If you, what if you had taken that week off and said, you know what, I'm not going to touch this thing this week. If I didn't bring it in. Ha- if you didn't bring it in. Yeah. And for, sure. for, you know, for you being here all during the Rona, like, I mean, obviously global pandemic, horrible catastrophe, mm-hmm. developing countries are still in the thick of it. Right. For me, man, this 18, past 18 months has been the most creatively fertile period of my life. Now, I owe that a lot to having an extremely loving and supporting Ooh. spouse right. who's believed in this journey and said, go for this and you do it and I'll hold it down. Right. Um, but also, man, if, if you, if you want to do it bad enough, you're going gonna, gonna to do it. Like if, if you're not laid up in bed with coronavirus, you know, Let's talk about something. So you live in Brooklyn, yeah, right? We're here in Hollywood, West Hollywood right now in my office. Um, what brought you out? I came mm-hmm. out um, just for, I had booked a rounds of meetings with folks mm-hmm. for the week. Um, so which, so you can set up meetings from far away. Oh, man. Not only that, I think this is the, this is the <laughs> interesting thing. You know I'm talking thing. to yeah, motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know where you're going. <laughs> so this is the thing. March 2020 was the last time I was in L.A. Okay. I came to L.A. Same purposes. Some people I wanted to meet face-to-face. Some people had made introductions for me. Damn, the road had already started. The week, I, fl- I landed back home in New York like two days later. The whole country shut oh, down. So damn. I had like some of the last handshakes in North America. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Um, but I, I came out, I think it was maybe four or five days. I had like three meetings. Okay. They went great. It was totally worth it. Mm-hmm. Things happened. I got my manager out of a connection made at one of those meetings, mm-hmm. you know, nine months later. Nice. This time, 18 months later, I've got like 13, 14 meetings booked. So it's a nice barometer of like the work that you've done over the past mm-hmm. year and a half. Right. But yeah, you can totally, I mean, if you can get to JFK, like you could get to LA mm-hmm. and it's... You know, obviously you have to have the means to do it, but it's again, it's that thing. If you're willing to put, so what does that show people, right? Like, what does that show you that, oh, I came here not mm-hmm. for a gig, not for mm-hmm. a showrunner meeting, but just for some meetings, followed up on some generals, mm-hmm. some generals. Every general I had over Zoom this past mm-hmm. year, I reached out and we're doing in person meetings now. Smart. And Smart. people have said that to me like four times since mm-hmm. I've been on this trip. What a good idea that was. And to me, I didn't even. Realize it was that great. It just made sense. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, of course, I'm going to meet them in person now because we kind of did it on Zoom. It right. went well. Right. So them saying yes means, OK, yeah, we are invested enough in that that we'll do it again because I'm the same person. I'm not going to have a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it shows people that you're willing to work and hustle for your career because um, you're doing that on your own. You know, mm-hmm. so and, and I think that makes a big difference in how people respond there's to you a, there's a there's an amount of respect for it yeah you know what i mean because i tell people all the time i mean i get the call all the time oh i wish i could move to la but i would need i would need fifty thousand dollars or so expensive whatever and i'm like i moved here with fifteen hundred dollars in my pocket maybe yeah. 17 yeah. something like that I sold something and it ended up ended up with 1700 bucks something it was something like that yeah and so and i was like how bad do you want what is your sacrifice yeah. now yeah. if you come here to be a tv writer unfortunately you have to be in la unless you want to do law and order right right you know right. what i mean or you know some yeah. soap or something yeah. maybe you can be in new york i'm just to be 100 percent with you um yes we do have zoom 
as 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 much as the world or America continues to grow and people keep being vaccinated, I'm telling you now, I have friends who are in rooms where they're actually in the room. The rooms are back. Oh, they're back now. There's okay. a few. There's a few. Okay. I'm not going to tell you online yeah. who they are, but I know the bitches. Yeah, because right? I'm here in September. Yes. People are starting to exactly. say, Let's, you know, offices and, are back open yep. August, September. Yep. And like they're talking about, you know, um, possibly the Writers Guild might open. Okay. You know, they, they may not bring us back until next year, but they might be back in the offices, which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so, but if you, to, to, to Hollywood, this is a temporary thing. We're right. trying not to get used to this Zoom thing. I just want you to know. There yeah. are some showrunners who are like, this is great. Yeah. I can be at home. Yeah. The majority of people still, out of the 400 and something shows we have, would prefer to be in a room. Right. Especially comedy. Yeah, there, yeah, you yeah. You missing, got time in. You are across. missing the whole atmosphere of the room without it actually. Because you have to be almost too polite on Zoom. You know what I mean? You don't want to overlap and talk over people. And, and you look rude as fuck. Yeah. In a room, it's just overlap. Exactly. <laughs> you know exactly. I mean? And so there's a lot of that going on. Um, what is what? What's your specialty? Doing? What do What do you like to do? What type, uh, so what type a, of writer? Are I'm you? a drama writer. So mm-hmm. our dramas. Um, and like, what type of things do you like to talk? Sure. About? The things that that I gravitate to, like the characters I write, are are outsiders who are struggling to fit in. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not a genre specific thing, but mm-hmm. and not just outsiders because every black person can write. Like, oh, I write about outsiders. Right. But it's about people who. are caught in between loyalty or sense of duty to the person they should be the person they're expected to be versus what they're what they know in their hearts that they can be and i think my path to that is in my own experience with my family like you know i didn't have a traumatic childhood everything loving family everything was good Mm -hmm. but you grow up with certain set of beliefs that people have put on you and as i've become an adult the more I've grown into who I am, what I believe, my view of how the world is, how things should be, how you should approach your life, the more and the more fulfilling that's become to me, mm-hmm. the more distance that's put between my like blood family on mm. my mother's side. And that's a hard thing to deal with because your choice is like, well, you almost feel like you're you're giving up on your family, but this is what makes me fulfilled and happy this is what mm-hmm. allows me to raise my family mm-hmm. with my wife and my children mm-hmm. to believe in the possibilities to not be afraid of failure to be like realize that failure is the first step to success and mm-hmm. that's not how i grew up i grew up with if you never try you'll never fail yeah you know and that yeah. thing and 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 i get it and I, I get where it comes from and i don't blame them for <laughs> that but that's not how i choose to live my life but so now what's the cost of that to me is that you know i'll sit awake at night and just wonder like where did i come from Hmm. like i'm not i don't see a lot of myself in some of these people obviously i see certain things in it but you feel kind of lost and adrift because i didn't grow up with my father's side so another outsider thing like my dad is is african he's from Mm -hmm. guinea west africa i was together with him and my mother for maybe like three and a half months but and then after that, I was raised by her. But he didn't leave us. She left him. Like, she packed so is back. he still in your life? or No, he, you know, this is the crazy thing is I hadn't seen him. Last time I saw him, I was, like, in second grade. Mm. Um, I had heard he had moved out to California. We were still on the East Coast mm-hmm. in, in Baltimore. A year ago, I got a call from a rep from, like, a, a company that, 
legal estate lawyers had hired to track down surviving family members yeah. who told me that my that my father had died mm. and they were tracking down heirs to find out you know some california law they have to satisfy some things because apparently he died alone mm. with nobody doesn't seem like there was money a lot of stuff but they just had to kind of connect the dots right. so she's telling me this and i'm you know that's kind of a mind fuck already and then mm-hmm. it's like when did he die and she's like oh like a year and a half ago Damn. so i'm like this <laughs> man who's is half of me died alone to the point where it took a year and a half for them to contact relatives to it. So I don't know, maybe all the questions I have about why I am the way I am, maybe they'd have been answered if I could have spent time with him or met his family in Mm -hmm. Guinea, right? None Mm -hmm. of that was possible. So, but again, all this to say, it's like, where do I, where do I fit in? Right? So, you know, not to make this a therapy session, but I feel oh, like that's the affinity I have for writing characters mm-hmm. who are struggling with that. And that can come in a lot of different ways. That could be like somebody who doesn't feel qualified to have a parent who has a child, which I have a pilot about. It could be somebody from who's like, I have a pilot about the heir to like the richest black African family who mm-hmm. leaves the family's legacy of greed and corruption to become like a school teacher in New York. But then he gets dragged back in to the family mess when, you know, so it, it's that kind of that kind of thing. Or, it's coming to America with cops, <laughs> right? Right. So you know, and, and that's that's the thing is it's like you find you find your ways into this, or like the feature that I finished earlier this year that I'm super excited about is it's a period piece, right? And so what year? It's it's uh, just before the end of the Civil War, so it's okay. like eighteen eighteen sixties, and it's that's one a, of my favorite years to write. I mean, in that yeah, whole. It, Right, all this it. sense of what's going to mm-hmm. happen. So no cell phones, none. I mean, I, you got to be creative. You know what I mean? All that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, right. And how do they get distracted? Exactly. A, yeah. So uh, it centers around a black Union Army soldier who's struggling with his sexuality, mm. who goes AWOL from his unit mm-hmm. to go back down south to his estranged father and try to build a life with the woman that he loves, his best friend since childhood. And so one of the questions is can you build love without this physical intimacy if he's really attracted to men Mm -hmm. and not women? But it's about his journey from being an outsider, not quite fitting in. Because, all right, being, and this is coming from, you know, somebody who's straight, but even an idiot can recognize, like, being gay in a black community, Mm -hmm. in certain communities, today is, is rough. Oh, yeah. Let alone... 1800s where what's the, what do you even call it what's the word for it i don't think it was gay. even right yeah. yeah so so here's a person who's dealing with that about himself but again i'm not you know i'm not a part of the lgbt community so i don't have the agency to write a gay love story but i do have the agency to write about what it feels like to be an outsider to struggle to figure out where you belong mm-hmm. and so just coming out of you know he was he's a free black a free black man just like his his father and the girl he must spend his life with, but now you're in sharecropping mode, mm-hmm. right? So how free is that? And so on top of all of those things, how do you deal with this personal growth of like his journey to the end is learning to accept himself that he's enough? Because what I've never Does he seen, ever fall in love with a guy? He has an inter, he has a sexual encounter with a stranger that opens his eyes to what could be that could be to just mm-hmm. the even just the physical part because right. how do you you can't go to like bars and stuff like right. that right so by the end of this of the of the film he's he's accepted himself and he's at peace with who he is mm-hmm. and that's enough like he can't change the way the world is going to view him he can't 
he can't zoom ahead a hundred years into the right. future. But so here's the, the the impetus for that story is also we as black people never get to exist in period pieces other than objects of brutality. Exactly. And we need those stories because mm-hmm. apparently now in this country there's a debate over whether slavery was that bad, right? So we got to do the history lesson. But <laughs> in <laughs> in Hold any, on. is there a debate? Or are some white people trying okay, to say some right, bullshit? Okay, right, right, right. It's a debate among us. We ain't debating right. That's all I'm saying. Right, right. <laughs> we um, might, we sure. might be rebuttaling that motherfucker. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but we still have to talk about it. Right. And it's not, they weren't, in de- you know, they weren't unpaid labor. They were right. slaves, right? But they were in the field singing. They were so yeah, yeah, happy. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were so happy, man. <laughs> um, so, but here's Jesus the thing Christ. is... <clears throat> No matter what human atrocity you're going through, people still lead rich, complex lives. Like, and we get it in stories of like French Revolution. Right. People can still have loves and hopes and dreams and heart. Holocaust, people can still have that. Somehow we never get that in slavery. It's all about, okay, we're running on Tuesday, right? We're gonna follow the <laughs> river. And so I wanted to write a story that shows the richness, the complexity, the humanness of a person with this sort of brutality of an era that they're in Mm -hmm. but it's not it doesn't define them it's not the totality of the experience there's no white saviors in this story white people are very much on the periphery Mm. like they exist because you would have run into them but this is not a story about them it's about us and it's about how we can be seen as a human being too so the themes of this thing could it could have been set in victorian england Mm -hmm. right you know, you're talking about where do you fit? Where do you belong? How do you do this? That's universal. But mm-hmm. we never get to be seen as that. It's just like, oh, they beat the slave and now they're going to try to escape and we hope the dogs don't catch them. Right. Which, again, we, we need those, but we also need to see ourselves as fully formed human beings. And and that's why when you pitch this or your log line needs to read toward that so that when people, producers see this, they know Okay, this is a period piece, expensive. Okay, this is a piece, you know, takes yeah. place during the, you know, Civil War times, whatever. So, so there's expectations there, right? And they immediately, because we are just coming out of slavery at that point, right? And quite frankly, we know there were still some states that still stayed in it for yep. a long time. Yep. You know what I mean? And rolled themselves right into fucking Jim Crow. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, yeah. So, and so I say that to say, just make sure that you were clear. Like you, the way you said it was, was clear, uh, just so you know. But so that when people understand that and they read, they want to read this project, they, they're, they're aware this isn't that. You know what I mean? If you could find yeah. a way to just yeah. word it in a way, yeah. you know, even 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 in your script, it's okay sometimes to do a little blurb. Okay. Like, like page one. Okay. You know, this, you know, um, in the 1800s, you know, this, the, or you could just say, this is a story not about slavery. This is a story about a man trying yeah. to discover love and blah, blah, Whatever it is you need to do to make it clear for the reader that when they read it, they automatically get, and then you just go into it. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point because I think that's the struggle with that is because we haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. People are going to go into it with these preconceived notions. It's like, wait a minute, where's the nice white person? <laughs> and, you know, maybe that'll be the blurbs. Like, no no white saviors. Uh, and it's not about slavery. But it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. And I think this goes back to, like, I feel like the growth I've had as a person and a writer over the last year and a half has been my 
the way I worked before was like, oh, what do I want the story to be about? Mm-hmm. What's the plot? And that was the thing I was word- concerned about. Whereas with this, why am I trying to tell this story? And if I can answer that why, yep. all the other stuff falls into place. Because I could reframe the story to be in Victorian England. I could reframe mm-hmm. the story to be in current day times because yeah. I know the why of what I'm trying to say with this story. And I think that's something that's so important that we don't, people don't talk to us enough about as emerging I think, writers. I think you hit it on a nail. So <clears throat> I was telling you about, I was gone in, um, in the Bay Area uh, the last, um, last weekend. And um, the interesting, I was telling my best friend who I stayed with in his house with his girl, and we were talking about all these old friends from way back and girls we dated, whatever. And people don't know, I've actually dated more girls than I have guys. Okay, <laughs> you know what I mean, coming up. Yeah. So I was talking about this one girl that I dated for a short period of time, but she's the only girl I still think about. Ah, all right. So I understand where you are personally as a gay man yeah. who's very comfortable being a gay man by the way yeah don't don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't me. send those tweets don't at me bitch <laughs> <laughs> but there was one woman when i was like 17 years old i still was a kid i didn't i had a lot of growth yeah but there was one girl i dated who was from denmark okay and um was head over heels about this girl and was really trying to make this thing work. work. Now, I knew she was only there for a short period of time because she was a European au pair and whatever, but she's the only girl that I continue to remember. Like, wow, if she was here, like, I wonder... I still would have been a gay man. Don't get it twisted. Yeah, yeah. But I could see your character, and I haven't read it yet, um, still having this thing where this is still a girl he loved, but it wasn't a intimate love see and that's the interesting question like can you make that relationship work like what we associate relationships you love somebody there's a physical component intimacy and you know but it can still be physical it just doesn't have to be here's a perfect example just think about this okay now let me preface this motherfuckers (laughs) to all my lgbt get your fingers ready lever up here we go this is hilliard speaking this we live in a world where we're not a, a monolith Right. Yes. So, yes, I'm a gay. I say I'm a black gay man, you know, queer, whatever you want to call me. It's all great. Um, But I'm a unique person. Right. So, for example, where I was going with this is um, people ask me, could I still sleep with a girl? Okay. And I go, yeah. Right. Like most of my friends. Oh, I can't even do it. Right. For me, the reason is and I might even talked about this once or twice on the show is out of the 364 episodes we dropped. Um, It's not that I couldn't. It's just that it would be hard to now because now I'm all about the intimacy. Right. So for me, it would just be sex. Now, you have to remember, I'm somebody who's been on tour with a rapper before. Okay. So you can imagine the shenanigans we got into on tour. You know, people knocking on your door and you're like, fuck it, they're here. So whatever, right? Now, and that's what it became was just sex. So, and those were all women, by the way. Yeah. And also, um, um, so, but when I'm with a guy, my husband in particular, it's an intimate thing to me. And I don't want to just have sex. I want to have an experience. That's why I couldn't now. Not that I couldn't, why I wouldn't now, if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. I mean, I, I can really relate to that, I think. And that's something... That whatever your, your whatever your sexual preference is, I mean, I can remember after I divorced my first wife and I was dating a couple people, and this is the seventeenth one, by the way, just seventeen, right, 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 right. <laughs> it's getting there. Um, and there was this woman, and we slept together, and mm-hmm. it really hit me like 
this is just sex. Mm. And for me, it wasn't enough. It was so like, here's how not enough it was. It was a choice. I had a choice that day of like, my friends were going to, uh, it were going to a concert, I mm. think. And or might it, maybe it, it might've even been a museum opening, not even a concert mm. where it's like, oh, all this stuff. And so instead I went with her and we slept together. And I remember this is just sex. And I was like, you know what? I should have just gone to the museum. Mm. And there was nothing wrong with sex, but I, because there wasn't, there wasn't a thing between the two of us and we both right i'm pretty sure she knew it i definitely knew it and i realized for me like that was not satisfying and that cooled me out for a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. because you know it's got like all we do is chase like women and but i was like but if it's not gonna be a personal connection like i'd rather like be reading a good book man and that's when you know soon after that is when i met my wife and we had that connection right away and and that's why in your movie for me and i haven't read a thing Mm -hmm. you have to think about this here's here's where uh and i'm just generalizing here not you sure here's where straight people go wrong writing gay people yeah this is where yeah they go well i'm just gonna make it be like this as opposed to it being like that one time where you met that one girl who got away yeah. This is the person this needs to be in this relationship. Yeah. The girl, the guy who he sleeps with needs to be that perfect person for him. Mm-hmm. But time and history and all that is what makes it not work. Right? Yeah. It has to be the most intimate, beautiful sex relationship they have. Okay. It can't be like, oh, well, I heard that they just do it outside on the streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can't be that. It's got to be, put your regular straight guy sense into it about that girl who got away from you even. Okay. You guys had a passionate night. Okay. But she had to go back to Denmark. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Whatever the thing was, it's got to be just the same. That's where they go wrong. Yeah. As they go, well, you know, dudes just fuck. They just, no, bitch. Yeah. We make love too. See, that's the humanity. Right. They, they can't put themselves in that situation. Right. And I think, yeah. So you're going to have to read it because I, I hear what you're saying. I'll I, check it out. I think I achieved that. I went in a slightly different route, but it was in a way that it speaks authentically to what I can relate to as a straight person in a relationship, which to me, that was, that was what gave me the confidence to write that is because mm-hmm. I'm writing a human being, Right. right? I'm not using, I'm not writing it for laughs. I'm not writing it for pity, but just these are like to write those scenes with the, with him and the other guy. Like it's stuff that I could relate to. Well, let me give you an example. So what is it? Um, What's, what's the bareback mountain? Yeah. Brokeback so, mountain. Brokeback bareback. <laughs> bareback mountain. That's the, that's the sponsor. That's the condom sponsor. It's <laughs> a so, trip. So I love the movie, but I had the issue with one moment. Okay. And I'm going to be a little vulgar here. So turn it down. Well, we already cussing. So if y'all right, got right. y'all kids listening, y'all right. fucked up. So look. <laughs> so <laughs> That's look. on you. That's just poor parenting, <laughs> exactly. poor life choices. You ain't going to make it. You in danger, girl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so look. So here's the trip. So there's a moment where, you know, Keith and, um, why am I going blank in his fucking name? Uh, 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 anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have that sex moment. Yeah. Right? They finally, Gyllenhaal, right? Gyllenhaal. Yeah. They finally make love. Yeah. Right? And it could have been perfectly beautiful yeah and it was to an extent but they blew one thing okay. now this is a gay man okay right? okay going what so he turns jake over yeah puts some spit in his mouth uh-huh and sticks his thing yeah. inside of him yeah and i'm going on his first time ah uh, it see. doesn't quite work yeah like that. yeah yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and 
and it takes time to get used to that. You can't just right. do it doesn't yeah. work like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah especially yeah. for you to enjoy it. Exactly. You feel me? Just how they were playing it is a it. muscle there. <laughs> right? I don't mean to be so vulgar, yeah, but I'm just nah. being honest. And those are the things that we miss. See, yeah. But this is the first time this is not fun. Yeah. Just like yeah. women when you first have sex with And that's with more them. interesting exactly. to play that. Exactly. When you first have sex with a woman, when they're a virgin, they bleed. Guess yeah. what? So do we. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? So it's yeah. little things like that that you have to anticipate that... Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. just trying to give you some game. Yeah, no, I to hear be you. aware. You want to get it right, get the nuance right. Yep. You know what I mean? So yeah. just think about that. No, anyway. I agree. That's a great that's a great point. If you cross that line. And they don't have yep. to do that. Yeah. But more than likely they might. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now I'll be curious to get your take. I mean, one yeah. thing that I am happy about is that people who've read it in the LGBT community mm-hmm. have responded in a very positive way. If it doesn't feel gratuitous, right. it feels like we haven't seen this kind of story told before um because again i think i do recognize my limitations and this is what i wish white folks did more of when they're trying to be inclusive and write about other things like know your limits man know like what you can the moment you can't tie it to something that rings true to your life you can't do it like if it's not easy for you to write a scene about two men Mm -hmm having an intimate moment then you're not connecting it with yourself if you can't connect to that as a human being that's what, and that's why Moonlight is so amazing because yeah. you feel like Barry, even though he had the book to go off of, you feel like Barry was like, if I'm going to play these characters, I got to just fucking write them as if they're two, a guy and a girl talking. And that is the mistake that we make. You know, it's that, <clears throat> you know, well, I'm a dude, so the dude, dude, nah, yeah, dude, yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, yeah, nah, yeah, man, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. just reach out and do whatever. Yeah. It's bullshit. You got to play the character. You have to be true to the character. You know what I mean? Um, and that that is the growth that that writers have to get to. That's you know, true. Is 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 for, perfect? Here's another example that I always think about. This completely different thing, but I'll never forget. I feel like I was watching um, Inside the Actor Studio. Okay. And um, he asked, and it was Will Smith, and he asked Will Smith, "What's the one thing you regret?" If I recall, that's what okay. it was. And he said, "Oh, uh, when he did um, Six Degrees of Separation, yeah. he didn't kiss the guy." And right, he said, right. I mean, he did, but it was like, you know, like, yeah, not real. Yeah, he said yeah, he just yeah. kind of reached over and made it look like they were kissing, yeah. whatever. And it was because, and, he, and I believe if I recall it right, forgive me, somebody out there has the truth. I don't remember. This is how I remember. Yeah. Um, so I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> <laughs> so don't at me. Again, internet, okay, exactly. keyboards at the ready. Yes, exactly. But if I recall, it was something like, <clears throat> he said Denzel basically told him, don't do the job. <clears throat> but he learned later why he told him not to do the job. Okay. Some people think he said, don't do the job because, oh, it's a gay character. Yeah. No. Denzel was saying, if you want to play this role as an actor, you have to choose to go all the way. Okay. You can't half do it. So I would suggest, knowing you now, he was young. He's like 20-something years old. Yeah. This is his first big movie. Coming out of the hip-hop He wasn't scene. ready. He to, wasn't. He wasn't. So that's what Denzel was to him. He wasn't telling him, oh, don't play a gay guy. He was telling him from his experience as an actor who knows to commit yep. that you have to commit. So he yep. said, what would I do now? I would throw my tongue down his throat. Yep. You see what I mean? Yep. But that's the growth that yep. you have to get to that place. Yeah. No, that's true. That's important because it's authenticity, right? Like, right. That's, like we don't care that... The writer is right. A perfect example. Uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. I fucking love that movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Jonathan Majors, ridiculous. The whole mm-hmm. story. When I was watching that movie, I was like, 
oh, definitely black folks were behind this movie. Then I find out the director is white, but the the actor who played the lead was black. Mm-hmm. They had a collaborative process. So I interviewed them. They're on they're on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I don't care that that a white person can direct that movie that doesn't bother me i'm like he told the story with so much authenticity and he (laughs) he gave people he gave us in that movie the freedom to be like i came out of that movie like oh finally we get like our wes anderson movie Mm. you know what i mean we get to have a movie that's grounded in such stuff but it doesn't have to be like but i mean what i loved in that was where he had the dudes just on the corner right it was almost like out of a play it was mm-hmm. so out of place but it so fit and it's like we never get that freedom it's always got to be gritty and then the cop car mm-hmm. has to pull up and mm-hmm. they got to mean mug each other um so yeah when i was watching it i would have bet a hundred dollars like that the director was black but when i found that he was white i'm like you know what good on you because you see, you found a connection to that story but see that was a nuance that really worked for me because i was what's the black character you just said his name oh uh, jonathan majors yeah i was jonathan majors in our neighborhood you know what ah, I, mean? okay. I walked around with fucking weird hair and looked like fishbone i mean yeah, i was yeah, like yeah. a weird cat in the neighborhood but i'd walk by the homies hey what's up here oh, what's right, up, homie? right, right. you know what i mean they still gave you some dap because you grew up with them too yep you went this way yep. they went that way yep you know what I mean? And yep. that's what I appreciated about them. They might go, oh, look at the nigga. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they still might be like, but that nigga fight though. Don't right, 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 right. You know what I mean? Whatever. They yeah. still show respect. And that's why um, shit like that. That's the nuance that I'm talking yeah. about. And everybody makes exceptions in their personal lives right. for things that they will rant against in like a larger culture. Because like, yo, but that's my boy. He grew up with me. Like, you know, and I think that's important because we always think of like, we look at back on history or times and just assume everybody was one way. Mm-hmm. Like there's a great book called the Prince of Darkness, right? It's a biography of, Oh, I always mess up his name. Um, Alexander G Hamilton. Uh, it might not be Hamilton, but it's definitely G <laughs> Hamilton. Mm-hmm. First black wall street millionaire. We're talking, we're talking oh, 1800. His story is so fucking incredible Mm -hmm. because it's not just, oh, black man makes some money. This is obviously black, big hair, nappy Mm -hmm. hair, like nobody could, he couldn't pass for white. And not only was he making money, he was taking people to court, like, and suing white (laughs) business owners and stuff. There's a great story in the biography where they had the great fire in New York, right? Mm -hmm. So all these, the mercantile class and stuff, these guys got wiped out. So, like, before the fire, he was... and. First of all, he was like, he was a shady black person. He wasn't about like black people's right. Black people right. hated him. Mm-hmm. He went he went down to Haiti and he was, was like himself. selling counterfeit he was coins to bankrupt the country. Yeah, he right. was out for himself. Right. He wasn't about progress for the people, anything. So these white businessmen come and he loans them some money mm. with their collateral. So the Great Fire comes, blocks wiped out, right. you know. Things so they come back to him like, yo, man, look, you know that deal we had, you know, we got the fire, business wiped yeah. out, so we kind of need that money back. He looked at them and was like, "What money?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is a black man doing yep. this in eighteen hundreds. Actually, I'm familiar with him. Eighteen hundreds New York, yeah. right? Yeah. So he shouldn't be able to exist. Like, how did he not get lynched up in the middle of the street? How did he not get shot in the head? Um, because he was. And he was known. It wasn't like nobody was hiding this. Right. He was taking people to court, suing them. He was owing people money, then suing them, and then they had to owe him money, mm. right? And so how was he able to exist? And my little theory is he was so far outside of the realm of possibility for white people of what black people could be that that somehow protected him. 
If another cat had come behind him and tried it, they'd be like, oh, yeah, no, we've seen this shit before. Mm. Like, you're out. But he was just so, he married a white woman. Mm. He had kids. Um, and again, it's not like he had protection from the mm. black community. They, they despised him. Um, Is there any hope in the story toward the end? <laughs> like, where did, he, where did he end up? He well, this is the thing is his life is such a mystery. The guy who did his biography, which is funny, a white guy and his name is white. Um, his name is white. <laughs> there's there's no photographs of this man. Oh. There's no real personal letters. All this biography was researched based on like court records and newspaper accounts because he was friendly with a couple of editors and they had the competition between the papers, so they would talk to him. So it was almost like he didn't exist, hmm. right? So there was no. Like, oh, yeah, my great-great-great-grandfather did this. Was that like that? There's so much we don't know about him, but we do know that he existed and he was real. And I think the hope, the hopeful thing about that is, like, whatever the time you're in, whatever society is seeing, there's always cracks where somebody can get through, right? And that's as a writer, that's exciting to write about. Yeah. Because you could you could have sold that story as like a work of fiction, and people would have been like, "Yeah, but nobody's gonna believe that." <laughs> you gotta you gotta make that more realistic. Where's the where's the white mastermind behind all of this success? <laughs> For sure. Um, now, me and uh, my producing partner Pamela and I, we wrote um, the story of Kathy Williams. You know, the first black um, woman disguised herself as a. As a, as a man and, you know, fought with the Buffalo Soldiers. I don't know that story. <clears throat> yeah, Shame we wrote, on me. We wrote a, um, a pilot based on that. But in our research, because eventually she becomes this famous dressmaker and, you know, becomes really wealthy, like, wow. be- before um, Madam C.J. Walker and all yeah. that. And we started discovering the people that were in her inner circle were guys like that. And we were like, wait a minute, there's all these other black millionaires? So we had came up with this whole show on all these black millionaires, and it all takes place like in different parts of the country. Yeah. And there's a train that goes from the east to the west, and you'd get on a train, you'd ride with that guy. Yeah. And you'd end yeah. off, and you're in New York, and you get back on the train, and you're in San Francisco with somebody else. So we did this whole thing. And, and um, um, so I love this world, you know? Yeah. And I keep discovering more and more people. Right. And why yeah. do we? Why are we like grown ass men finding out these stories for the first time? Right? Because they didn't want us to know. Yeah. You know, anything that gives us success, they don't want us to know. The reason why we think Madam C.J. Walker is the first black millionaire, she's the her and what's the boxer? I know the black Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson, the first two black millionaires that everybody talks about because they were the flashy ones. Yeah. Yeah. All the rest of them are like, I ain't telling nobody I got right, some money. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. And we still do that. We still do that today. Right. There's so much stuff undercover where the secret is like, all right, you can do your thing. Just keep it on the down low and just let that be your satisfaction instead yeah. of having to trumpet it out. And then people got to do something about it to save face. But it's, yeah, there there's are so lots many stories. Us, there are lots of wealthy black millionaires out there who have the money like Diddy does, yeah. but Diddy showed you he has the money. Yeah, I'm yeah. just giving it as an yeah, example. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's lots of us who are very successful who don't tell you that they you know, have... I was, t- I was talking about this, matter of fact, with Charles and him on the, on the podcast the other day about how <clears throat> the very, very, very wealthy friends that I know yeah. drive around in Priuses, and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, 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 because yeah. that's the difference between yeah. wealth and rich. Like, they don't need to they, show it, because I, yeah. I got it. Chris I, Rock, fucking Prius. Yeah, because <laughs> you know like, I mean? my great-great-grandchildren are taken care of. Right. Like, that's my, that's my bling. Right. But the, and the danger of us not knowing those stories is it just perpetuates this narrative of, A, 
we've always been just defined by suffering. B, anything that we've ever had has been because of intervention of somebody else. Correct. Um, and see that you know basically we're just never about shit. Like why didn't you you know immigrants came from Europe or immigrants came from from India and they did it. Why can't you do it? And that's a real thing because when you look at immigrants mm. who came here from other developed countries, they come here and they look at us and they're like, "Dude, you've been here how long? Oh yeah, and your shit is still like this." Mm-hmm. So that's how you get co-opted. Like, and some of these people become so conservative. And Republican because they're just like, look, I came here with five dollars, and it's true. A brown person came with no money. They made it a thing, and they made their success. Why can't you? There's a difference. <clears throat> For some reason, I don't know if it comes from slavery or after slavery or what. Maybe it did. Maybe maybe it has to do with the 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 field Negroes and the people who were in the house. I wonder. We have that crabs in a bucket thing. Where it's it's just something about whereas a lot of those people from other countries come here and you see the pockets yeah you know yeah even even little Ethiopia and stuff yeah. they, they're used to helping each other they're used to gathering around you know and doing things with each other and building things and you know having you know these it's why it's so difficult for us to have a Black Wall Street or a Harlem last. You know, for so long, it'll last for like a minute and be gone. You know, like these things keep coming up for us. Like we keep through history, you know, I'm not saying we're the sabotagers, yeah, yeah. but to some extent, some of us are the sabotage, the saboteurs, you know. Yeah. Of it. You know, there's definitely that. But I also, I think we can't undersell the fact that so much is being actively still done. Whereas like if an immigrant comes over here in the 80s and says why are you people still stuck in poverty Mm -hmm. they're not saying oh slavery ended 100 years ago but the 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 penal system has just replaced it we still have slavery you what's slavery making money off of free black labor what's the Mm -hmm. prison system making money off of free black labor so for sure i hear your point but i also think that people don't People want to pretend like it's a level playing field, and then they want to point to somebody like LeBron James they or Jay Z. One person that's out there. You well, know. Yeah, my thing is like, okay, but if that's if that's the reason you can't complain is because somebody's rich, then fucking Donald Trump. He was supposed to be a billionaire, and all he fucking did was complain. Right. So if you're gonna if you're gonna make that rule, make it for everybody. Yeah, but they'll never do that. No, <laughs> no. you never see where you go wrong. You only see what other people go wrong. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. But I mean, and circling back to like this industry, I think the exciting thing for me is like this seems like an opportunity where the door is cracked open just enough where we can start to change those kind of narratives. The more films we see that show the totality, the humanity of of the black American experience, Mm -hmm. then we can get it. It's like it's like within the heights, right? Like Mm -hmm. the blowback that they got from that over colorism and representation. Mm-hmm. I get it. I hear it. But the real problem is that that's the only one. That's exactly like if, my If that point. movie has to be represent an entire multi-country yes. diaspora, right. then it's always going to fail. Right. And that's exactly why, that's why, you know, despite how successful he is, but that's why, in my opinion, Tyler gets so much pushback from people in the industry in particular. Okay. Oh, yeah, he gets a lot of pushback. And, and it's mainly just because of the work. You know, we yeah. don't think the work is that great. Okay. Right? Okay. Okay. And, yeah. And 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 mainly because it's done so fast that 
there's no there's so many things yeah they shoot crazy they shoot stuff like it could have been so much better so much more but you know that's his you know his turnaround is like that and and it works for him and it's fine he's made him like i said a billionaire so there's nobody saying no to him you know everybody's going yes man this is working if that's what you want yeah sure instead of going you know what if we just did this it probably could be a little bit better and he's like i don't care we're going to do it. And you go, okay, right? right? I bet that's what's happening. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So anyway, um, there's a lot of that happening, I think, in, 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 in Hollywood today where um, the majority of us, if we had our way, um, there's a lot of projects you would see that would be things like what you just threw out to me earlier about the the – you know, the 1800, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Beautiful story. I mean, there, sh- there should be room for that. Right. 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 But like you said, because there's not enough, it stands out in a crowd when you see it. It stands yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. It should just be regular. Like, it here's just the regular. take of, you yeah. know. It's a, why you can have the Coen brothers and, you know, really stupid Seth Rogen stuff that we think is just corny as fuck. You know what I mean? Some people do. Yeah, I do. Um, well, Brokeback <laughs> Mountain, that you know never I mean? came That came out to acclaim, but it was never pitched as, this is representing gay white America. It was like, oh, here's a beautiful story with these two with cowboys that we don't right. see. But that didn't have the responsibility to encompass every white American no, man's experience. No, but it also, um, like I said, was written from a straight person's point of view. Okay, true. <laughs> you true. know what I mean? And 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 don't get me wrong, it it did a lot of things, you know, in the movie that it definitely showed they were definitely you know deeply in love with each other. And yeah, all yeah. that stuff. And then it was at a time when they couldn't. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, your movie is probably going to have to yeah. do it. You got to have angst. You got to have some tension. You got to have, yeah. you know, all that stuff going on. Um, and and you got to have agency, you know, in there at the same time. So, it's 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 a hard thing to do. Um, but like I said, having your friends, you know, read your, your work is, is definitely important. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. And that's the, there's a humility behind that, too, yeah. of I knew that I had to have people read this that it speaks directly to their experiences to know how it felt and it out of genuine curiosity because sure. I want to know how this speaks to you because if it says something other than what I intend, then I'll change it. And that's something that we don't get on our end when white people write black characters because then it's pushback. For, well, black people are just like, but come on, I saw an episode of Cops of where course. somebody did this right. or I saw oh, yeah. this thing. But yeah, the there's no back, real firsthand thing. But let me just say this yeah, before yeah. you go. The other point of view that you need is also the black female's point of view. For sure. You know, because they are the ones, you know, who are going to be like, well, if I was a woman and I was whatever. And and the thing that I always have to tell people is you guys are still looking at it from gays of 2021. Mm. It's a different time in 1874 mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever the mm-hmm. fuck year you're in mm-hmm. you know what I mean it was a different time there was no TV yeah. <laughs> there was yeah. no phones there was no yeah. internet yeah. there was nothing like that you were going around with lanterns and whatever different things you know there was no you were horse and buggies and there was no streets except for in certain parts of towns yeah. and maybe yeah. New York and San Francisco I mean that was it yeah. you know what I mean so there was it was a different time and a way of thinking and it was very you know, Protestant or Catholic or whatever. It was very different, you know. I don't know if you watch them. Um, no, I haven't I haven't oh, seen that dude, yet. I'm such that. a baby with horror, man. I, I'm like a five-year-old. Really? Oh, my God. You know, but I have a reason. Mm-hmm. When I was, like, nine, for some reason on broadcast TV, 
they put on a back-to-back, The Exorcist and The Omen. And I had a TV in my bedroom, single parent, latchkey kid, and I watched that shit by myself. And ever since, I've never been right ever since. I can't, I can't do it. I'm just like a little, a little baby with that. So, so that's my, that's my excuse for not, for not watching it. And I, I'm going to stand by that story. I'm going to go to the grave standing behind that. That's funny. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, because we, see, I grew up on horror. Okay. And my mom was the type of person who believed kids should watch horror. Wow. For that reason alone of what you just said. But her whole thing was that it teaches you street smarts. And I've talked about this several times in my show where you think about this, like let's take Jason or like some, uh-huh. Uh-huh. some Freddy movie in, you know, in the yeah. big city chasing a bunch of kids. It teaches you little things like, and you know, living in New York, you'd be walking down the street and you feel like somebody's behind you. You've gotten that spidey sense feeling. Yeah. Well, you know, watching horror movies that everything around you is 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 a, is a weapon yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's you like hear, little you hear the music in your head dude, playing it's like little shit like that that it teaches you or if you are in a situation with whatever it teaches you little things to be like oh if i was ever in a woods and a fucking wild cat was chasing me i would do this and i would do that whatever the fuck it is but to me it helps you do that the other thing that i used i actually used to teach a um a workshop on like how to um how to how to watch um, horror movies? Okay, I need specifically that. I really need that. bloody. One of them. Now, this is an old way to do it, though. Is when we had VHSs and DVDs, they'd have the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. So I'd sit there and watch. You know, after you watched the movie before, I'd watch the behind the scenes, and you'd see the guy in the mask, you know, putting on the Jason outfit or whatever, uh-huh. and they become numb to me because I'm like, oh, there's just the guy sitting right there, and and also because I'm a filmmaker. It's a lot harder to scare me because I know there are 30 people sitting behind that camera yeah, watching that yeah. moment. That maybe could be my way in. Maybe maybe with that, but <clears throat> I don't know. Seeing how they make the blood stuff, that wouldn't do it. Right. That wouldn't do it. Like I Blair Witch Project. Yeah, see, you, I could not watch it because I love to go camping. Yeah, I, see, and I was like, if I watch it, that's going right. to ruin a whole. Yeah. And that's real because you know I won't go in the water because of Jaws. So I understand. All right. Okay. Yeah. Good, so good. I feel you. I can't come up to the top. <laughs> Because they did that <laughs> yeah, shit in Jaws. Yeah, yeah, as soon yeah, as I yeah. come up and all you see is water, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm nah, done. that's it. I'm done. I'm done. And I go to fucking Hawaii or Belize or whatever. And as soon as we go in, I'm like, eh. Waste time. Don't, I'm good. This don't feel right. Hilly, come sense. out here. It's great out here. Nah, no, I'm no, good. this is good. I'm this good. is good. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you. Um, but can you swim? Oh, yeah. I can you, swim. And you can swim. So is it, you do it in a pool, it's just the ocean, open water. That that you won't that you won't mess with. Oh hell no! And I think it's now I get jealous and I'm like we'll be watching you know like um some you know <clears throat> you know buying land on a desert island whatever the fuck you know one of those different yeah. you know shows yeah. and you know people will be out on a boat and they'll stop and they'll just jump into like crystal clear water and I'm like I couldn't okay they would right, never good, good. good. no yeah, as we, soon as I came up I'd be like what is by my feet I'd be done. Yeah, yeah. But I'd just be like having a heart attack. <laughs> no, I feel, I feel you. I was at like I never learned how to swim till like five years ago. And, You're such a city boy. And can you, you can drive. But if I though. did it. Oh yeah, I could drive. <laughs> I could drive. But we went out. We took a vacation like three months after learning to swim. Mm. Me and my dumbass self, we went um, snorkeling, mm. and I took my then like nine year old with me. And so mm. we was with a tour, and we yeah. just went out. And I was like, come on, it'll be great. And <laughs> 
And you know, it was cool. Did you, did you get a little tired out there? <laughs> what she did, that was the thing. Is like right. she was the only kid in the group. Everybody else is like an adult. Mm-hmm. So after like twenty minutes, she's like, "Daddy, like I'm ready to go in, but we're like out. We're yeah. out. Like the land is like, like I was like, look, baby, I can't get you back. So we got to wait till the instructor's oh ready to go back. But she gritted it out and she did it and was cool. And you know she was happy she did it, but she's yeah. like, "I'll never do that." But again. there was nothing to hold on to to stand there. Or? No, no, she was well. She was holding on to my leg the whole, most of the time. <laughs> so me, like yeah. a dummy, I bring her back, and they're gonna take another tour out, like in the afternoon, to go to the different side, mm-hmm. which was the choppier side, which they didn't tell mm-hmm. me. So I'm like all full of myself. Yeah, I was like towing my daughter back in. <laughs> so I go out with the second group, and yo, because there's my thing. I respect open water now, because right. when that stuff gets choppy, mm-hmm. and then like the waves come over you, and then the, the snorkeling Mm-mm. shutoff valve shuts, and you're nope. sucking in and can't breathe. Nope. Yo, if that instructor hadn't been there, I'd be like down in the ocean, because I was like, all right, that's it. No, come, come get me. Come get me. <laughs> I don't fuck. With, I don't fuck with that shit. Yeah. So that was it. I'm done with the open water too. I feel you. We could go to the beach together and just yeah. like. Watch the horizon. <laughs> but let me ask you so, this, because you're talking about... Why, why you, um, why, I, was, I was just about to say, why you got me, you know, ask me whatever you want. So. so crabs in a barrel, right? Do you feel like that permeates itself in Hollywood of where yes. we don't help each other enough and everybody? Like, what does that look like? I think... Well, here's what it looks like. I'm just going to be 100% with you. Now, this isn't everybody, so let me preface that. Okay, there are some black women and men in this town who do help people, okay? But if you talk to the majority of those people who who do that, the majority, somebody white helped them. Okay. I'm being being 100%, 100%. Most of the people I know who got there to whatever there is for you, got there, the first door opened, somebody white hired them. But is that because it was just no black folks around in positions to do it? Oh. Well, some of them, some of them probably because if it was twenty years ago, for, yeah. sh- for sure. But yeah. even today, oh, I see. Still, a lot of people, you know, who can help you, still are doing the thing that we don't like the white people do, where they bring it in their friends. We're doing the same thing. Okay. You know what I mean? A lot of us are like, oh, you know, you know, all the white people. And the reason why it's all white because they're bringing all their white, you know, guy friends to be on the show. Yeah. And then you get a show with what you what you do. You're bringing all your black friends who are already co eps or whatever and Bob. The same. It's the same fucking thing. Well, you know, see, that's interesting because uh, did you ever watch the show Kim's Convenience, the Canadian comp? Brilliant show, super mm-hmm. funny. So it was an all Korean cast. It was based on a Korean cat wrote a play. Then they made it a, uh, with the CBC. They made it a, a series, and it just ended its fifth season. So, uh, like six months ago, the CBC announced that they were ending the show's run because the two co-creators, one guy is white Korean, and then they had a hit a white co-showrunner. Right. They were leaving the show, and they said, "We feel like we can't do justice to this story with any authenticity with those two gone." So then the blowback from the community was like. Wait, but you're saying as like the Canadian Broadcasting Network that you have so few Asian people in decision yeah. made that when the one you have leaves, yeah. you have nobody to take it yes. over? So there was that. <laughs> That's exactly the point. <laughs> but then after the last episode aired, the cast started coming out mm. talking about all the racist shit they had to fight to get taken out of the script. Wow. And they blamed the showrunner, the, the Korean. Show. No, the, the Korean. Korean dude of like, you weren't there for us. Mm. You didn't bring anybody under your wing so that they could take over when you decided to leave. Um, 
And you basically let the white dude have control over the show where they were saying like just lines of dialogue. It was so much racist shit and storylines that they the actors had to fight for. Wow. And here's the thing. This show became a huge hit in the US, mm-hmm. right? So here's the cast. It's a mother and father a mother and um father who run a, a grocery store. They have a son, they have a daughter. The son's best friend is a big character in the show. Um so you got five or six of the lead characters are all Korean. Mm-hmm. The CBC is doing a spinoff of that show based on the character of the white girlfriend of the Korean kid, of Simi Liu, who's doing all the Marvel stuff now. Mm-hmm. And they went, they drilled down so deep of like of all the characters on the show, mm-hmm. you could have picked to be interesting and fleshed out enough to have a spinoff. Mm-hmm. Like she was just above like the the co-workers at like the car rental place you know what i'm saying which is crazy and they called that out too of like okay you take a korean show that's a hit Mm -hmm. not disputed but the spinoff goes to the white character interesting i mean that is the way it is i was gonna say hollywood is but i mean even canada is still hollywood right right to an extent and um i mean because you got to think fucking out of the 400 something shows probably 60 or 70 of them are probably shot over there in Canada, mm-hmm. if, if not more. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, probably I would say more than that now I think about it. Um, because I think, if I recall, Toronto and like... Um, Toronto is um, huge. Um, 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 Vancouver, I think they shoot more things there than they do in LA. Yeah, I'm yeah, almost yeah. positive. Because they got tax credit. Yeah, <clears throat> right. I totally believe that. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, totally exists like that. Um, I was going to ask you... Um, um, well, I said, like, while you have me, any other questions, you can please, please, please ask me. Um, but um, what what is, so now you're here. How long are you here? I'm here till Friday. Okay. So I've got meetings from, I came in, flew in yesterday, went straight to a meeting, got here. I met, oh, he said, say hi, Adeep. Oh, Adeep. Yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. we hung out yesterday okay. for a bit. And um, <clears throat> yeah, no, one thing I definitely want to want to hear your take on is, because one thing I would like to do while I'm pursuing staffing is is with this feature now, I feel like I have something that's strong enough to pursue like writing assignments. And that's a whole separate hustle that I'm just now trying to figure out what that hustle is and how to do it. Like my manager, like I said at the beginning, is, is more TV focused. So this is going to kind of be my thing. And I've got some people who are in my corner for it that I feel like can help move this along but does, because does your, you do does that. your agent have or manager do they do tv and film or they just mainly do TV? he's mainly tv like he's willing to do some of the feature yeah. stuff and reach out but that's not his not his main thing of where he knows everybody right. is on the tv side and i know you and your writing partner mm-hmm. do that so like that seems like something that i could do pursue simultaneously yeah with i staffing. mean if i were you if i were you yeah okay so don't at me at this I'm just saying, remember, when I came up in this game, there was no Twitter, ad, none of that mm-hmm. shit. So <clears throat> I'm thinking from, because to me, I hate to use the word, it's easier now, um, in a sense, because you have access. Yeah. Like, you could go meet with Ben Watkins and all these yeah, guys. You know yeah. I mean? it's, it's so much different. So I would do one of two things. You could, you could A and maybe you've already done it, you know, see how you do in Austin and some other Right, festivals. right, that's all in the works. Because you need to get, you want to get something up under your script. Got you, some there momentum. There's nothing, nothing like 
perfect example, like saying, hey, I was a finalist in Austin Film Festival 2021, just as an example, or Tribeca or Sundance or whatever, and hey, will you take a look at the script? Yeah. Then to say, hey, take a look at the script. Got you. You need something under it, right? The other thing you could do, and this is disputable, right? So I'm going to say that, preface that first, is put it on the blacklist. You have to get two coverages. If you get eight and higher, somebody might be reaching out to you. I've never understood. Like, so what happens if you get an eight? Like, if on you the get an eight, it all of a sudden goes into the. Um, forgive me, I don't know what everything is called. Um, it goes. It it's like a red, fl- not a red flag, because it's like a green light. Okay. But all of a sudden, industry people who are searching the blacklist okay. are looking for somebody who got a high number. Okay. So all, all right. of a sudden, the agencies, all the agencies have somebody checking that probably weekly, looking for. And plus, if you get an eight, nine, or whatever, and higher, and you get several of them, you get put on the list. Okay, like the blacklist. Here, here's our top ten for the week, or whatever. Blah blah blah. Yeah. The other thing you could do, um, when I did an episode with, um, fuck, I can see his name, John Zerzani. Is that his oh, name? Oh yeah, yeah. He's at Bellevue. Yeah, Bell, right? Bellevue. Yeah. We, if you listen to that episode, he talks about how he gets his guys on the blacklist, on the real blacklist. I'm talking about the internet blacklist. He's talking, what he does is he campaigns, like coming up, I think starting, I think he said around August, because I think it happens around October or something, July, August or something like that. He starts going, hey, um, you know, executive at such and such, remember you read that script? Um, we're going. We're trying to put it on the blacklist. We'd love for you to take a look and okay. give it a nice blah, 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 blah. Okay, gotcha. So you. he campaigns for it. Gotcha. That's how every year he's got like three or four people on the blacklist. Yeah, yeah. He campaigned for those people. So that's another thing that your reps could do is they could reach out, you know, but you got to get a couple of people to do that. Yeah. You know, so that's a hard way. Right. That's why I'm suggesting the easier way, which is you go on there, you put all your information on there, you get two coverages, and if the coverage comes back, you get an eight. Yep. Eight or or higher. The other thing you could do, you get an eight or higher. Lena Waithe put out an email. I don't know if that still exists. Oh, this was a couple of years ago where they would read it. She would say, send it. Let me yeah. see if I like it. Then I'll yeah. take it to HBO or wherever the fuck she right. has. You know what I mean? So that's why I say to me, it's easier today because people are willing to do that. Yeah. Two of those avenues you said didn't exist like 20 years didn't ago. Didn't exist at all. Right. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> if I were some, especially if you have a film thing, the other thing is if you win, um, um, say you are a finalist at Austin, Slamdance, Sundance, Tribeca, you know, any of the upper tier, yeah. Chesterfield, any of the big upper, even I think like um, like Newport Beach, like some of these different festivals, there's a couple of them. Um, I think Santa Barbara, like there's a few like um, where you get a star on that, so to speak, and they quali- they're qualifying um, film festivals, right? Okay. If your thing is like a finalist in any of those, also... I think you have to place, not thinking about it. I think you have to place first, second, third, or whatever. Right, right. You have to place, I believe. Um, you can become a, um International Writers Caucus, which is kind of an affiliate of the Writers Guild, which is how dozens of people get into the guild. Okay. And what they do is, so say, say you're second place at Austin. Let's just say. Yeah. You reach out. You go on writersguild.org. <clears throat> you look at the International Writers Caucus. You fill out your application. Um, and it, it, in it, it talks about like what film festival you won, placed okay. in, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, here's the script. You send in your packet, $100. And in like a month, you get your whole big old package 
from the guild with your writer's guild card. Wow. All that information. Here's the only downplay to that. Now, well, let me tell you the up and I'll tell you the down. Okay. The upplay to that is now you're a kind of you're a guild member, right? But you're not a dues paying guild member. Ah, uh, okay. So right. wait for it. So you can't you can't vote when we have our voting, right, for the board and you know, the the, the officers. You can't um, I think if I remember right, I don't know if they change I heard they change it, but I'm not positive. You don't get the screeners, right? Um but you could be like a vice chair, you know, co-chair of the committee, you know, if you participated that way. Okay. You could go to all the meetings. You can go to all the events. Yeah. You know, all that. So you're like there. You know what I mean? Only thing is you can't vote. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. But yeah. you're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the yeah. thing that I can't tell you how many writers I meet who are like, oh, I'm just a caucus member. Like, stop that. Because you did something that got you here. Right, right. Right. So right. just tell the people, hey, you know, how did I get here? Oh, I wrote a script that got me in. Just throw it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't have to tell people exactly what it is or whatever. Don't weigh yourself down. Right. I can't tell you how many dozens of writers I've said that to. You know, you got here on something too. You know, I'm, to me, it might even have a little bit more importance to me that you wrote a script that, let's just say, Juan Austin, just as an example, um, over somebody who wrote some pilot they just happen to get them staffed on the show. Yeah, it's not yeah, always yeah. your pilot. Yeah, it's yeah. you. Right. It's right. you mainly no, that gets point. the thing. You know what I mean? So that's why I say that. To me, that has more merit to it. For me. Yeah. You know? Um, so I would I would definitely, it's worth the money to at least invest in yourself that way. It's just a faster track. Yeah. No, that's great. I had no idea that even you know? existed. Yeah. So yeah. think about that. That's something they don't tell everybody. You know? So, anyway. Well, thanks, Amadou. This was dope. Oh, man, thank you. It's such a pleasure, man. Indeed. And we get to do it in person, like all vaxxed up and everything, yeah. like a beautiful day. This, mm-hmm. is, this is great, man. It's thank you so much. It's all hot outside and shit. I can't turn the AC Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, too bad. It's, it's nice. It's so cool in here. It's about, you know, 67 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a good 110 in here and shit. <laughs> Anyway, thanks, man. So where, uh, where can people follow you at? Where are you at? Uh, I am mostly on Twitter at Amadou World. That's where you can find my varied opinions on topics that nobody cares about. <laughs> Amadou, spell that out for everybody. A-M-A-D-O-U World, W-O-R-L-D. That's what's up. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter, Instagram, fucking Clubhouse. I always say fucking Clubhouse. <laughs> um, you can follow the show, Screenwriters RR on Twitter. Any questions, ScreenwritersRantRoom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you listen to. Please give us a five-star review. We need that for the metrics out there. Um, please send us any questions you have, ScreenwritersRantRoom at gmail.com. <clears throat> um, please go on our um, website, ScreenwritersRR.com. We have T-shirts and mugs and all that stuff. I want to see y'all take some pictures of that shit when you buy it. That's for sure. And uh, Patreon page is on there. Please donate to the show. We appreciate it. <clears throat> and shit like that. So we'll see you guys very, very soon. Join with me, Amadou, for Wakanda Forever. You guys know how we do it on the Rant Room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Amadou? Wakanda, Wakanda forever. forever. Yeah. Peace, y'all. Well, I'm going to say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room.
to be a rider Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.